G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. Bill Newman, who's joining us in the studio today and reflecting on the new book that he has just released containing inspiring stories from 40 years of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. From humble beginnings growing up in Lithgow on the western side of the Blue Mountains to learning a trade as an electrician. Bill's evangelism ministry eventually travelled Australia with a huge tent where thousands responded to the gospel. You might even have your own memories to share of those early days. Since then, Bill has travelled the world, preaching in huge stadiums, rubbed shoulders with the biggest name evangelists in history, and still has aspirations for even bigger things to come. Australian evangelist Bill Newman, who's in the studio live with us today. Congratulations, Bill, on this new book. Well, thank you, Neil. It's uh, good to be with you again and uh, appreciate you so much and all the encouragement you've given to us over the years. <laughs> it's so, been a long time. It's been a long and, uh, time. And, and you know, uh, we're just just before, uh, while that last song was on, just mm-hmm. reflecting on how long I've known you and it's uh, it's 35 years. Wow, yeah. And yeah. Uh, just goes to show we're both getting a bit older. Well, I started evangelism when I was about five. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, all right, you know, well... Uh, that's interesting because, you know, 40 years, <laughs> 40 years. of evangelism yeah, and, yeah. Uh, you know, I've got to reflect on the fact that uh, you've been doing this a little longer than 40 years, so, no, I think a but you're longer. only telling the stories yeah. of 40 years. That's right. I was the, the tent for 40 years anyway when I procured a tent, but uh, I was coming out of church one, one Sunday morning and a young, I call him young, came up to me and said, uh, Bill, look, uh, you heard about what you're doing, all this, but you've never written a book, have you? I said, oh, no, no I've been... No, too busy for that. He said, uh, oh, okay, yeah, well, why don't you think about it sometime? And as I'm walking away, I felt, you know, the Lord saying to me, now's the time. And, of course, with COVID on, I had a little bit more time to do something like this. So we started to, started to put down a few stories of uh, past years. And uh, so we've come up with a book and telling people what it's been like for, for 40 years and serving the Lord that way. And I might say it's not your first book, but it's your first autobiographical book. Mm. That's what you're really saying because, yeah. I don't know, you've written 10, 15 books I, I or think more, I, maybe yeah, more, yeah. might be 20. You've yeah. lost count, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I wanna, sometimes you sort of sneak into your, of, uh, your study and you close the door and you pull one back off the shelf and say, oh, goodness me, did I write that, you know? And I better it, start learning the lessons. You know, I've got a lot of those myself on my bookshelf yeah. and, uh, you know, from younger years as a yeah. Christian, yeah, yeah. Uh, just great insight, uh, mm. whether it's about discipleship or whether it's about evangelism, yeah. uh, whether it's about uh, young intending couples, all sorts of things like that. You've been, you've had that sort of a teaching evangelism uh, opportunity over these years. Well, I've learned that from Wesley and Whitfield. Uh, Whitfield said, my work was a rope of sand. 
but uh, uh, Wesley, of course, put everything down. Wrote, wrote it, they wrote out his sermons, and uh, of course, we've got them right through to today. So uh, you know, if, if you write down, it's a legacy to leave on to your family. Uh, you know, yeah, that's the idea of the book, but other books as well. And uh, you know, it's it's been good. And it, you know, writing maketh a precise person. And if you write it down, your thinking's clear. I think it's good for you. And these days, you can write a lot of things online. Mm. Uh, you can have sorts of blogs and things like that. But there is something special, isn't there, about you know uh, a soft cover or hard cover? Yeah. But it's yeah. it's uh, you've got it in your hand, and so many people don't like actually reading off a tablet yeah. uh, or off their computer. They just want to sit there with a book and yeah. read. And yeah. and uh, it, it's pretty special to have a published book. I, I love just sitting down and cracking up a book. Oh, I've got the iPad and you've got your phone and you've got your computer and all that sort of thing. And this, this ha- handy and I know everything. But uh, yeah, And even going into church, you know, they pull out their little uh, phones and things like this. Turn with me to Isaiah and they're pressing little buttons all the time. And I think that's all fine, but you can't visualize it. And there's something about having the Bible in front of you. You can visualize. I don't know the Bible, but I know my Bible sort of thing. And I can picture it on that particular page. So there's just something about having that. But, um, you know, I'm not down on these things. But I know that what works for me works for me. And to sit down quietly, crack open a book and where I can highlight it and I can, you know, jot little things down as I go. And uh, that really helps me a lot. Let's talk about early days, Mm -hmm. Bill. I mentioned you grew up in Lithgow. I mentioned uh, you had an early electrician's trade. Uh, Take us back to those early days in Lithgow. Well, that was, uh, you know, Lithgow was a great town to grow up in. Everybody knew everybody and, uh, you know, we were kids, you know, we we could run around the mountains and that was our playground. You know, we had a lot of fun. I remember one time when I had this mate and I were riding along on on, on the horse we're on, and uh, I had an old black mongrel dog called Darky, and uh, he just he you know we, he was a good fighter. You know, we could skitch him onto anything, and, you know. But we're going along, and this guy had a goat, and uh, he had tethered to a tree, and because uh, my mongrel old dog raced up and grabbed the the the, the uh, the goat by the throat was ripping into him. Well, this guy came out of his house and says, get that dog off my goat or I'll release my bulldog. And we're sitting on the horse, you know, scared stiff, and he ripped open, uh, ripped the uh, collar off the bulldog and the bulldog's racing up. We're sitting on the horse watching this thing and the bulldog grabbed the leg of the goat and both of the dogs were ripping the goat <laughs> So there, there's a lot of horrible memories that I've got. But I'm I've not got sure to... we should be laughing at that. <laughs> but, <yeah. laughs> well, it's funny now, but... It wasn't funny at the time. We just dug our heels in the horse and we were gone. But uh, it, it, though I had great, great memories as a child. Growing up, it, I just feel sorry for the kids today because we had great things to do when we were growing up in a country town. Hey, if you hadn't pursued mm. a direction in your life, responding to a call of God uh, yeah. to go off to Bible college, uh, to take a role as evangelist uh, mm-hmm. you might have been you might have been rewiring houses forever <laughs> doing an electrician's trade yeah I, th- I think I would and uh, you know I, I look back at some of the guys that I've trained and they've got houses like Ponderosas and you know beautiful big mansions <laughs> and I don't hang on what have I missed here you know <laughs> could have been pretty well off but you know um uh, it, it's been a, a wonderful journey, and that's good because I think it's like, you know, Paul the Apostle knew how to make tents as well as sitting at the feet of Gamaliel. 
And I think that there's a, having a trade really grounds you. And also, too, it helped me to understand uh, the average ocker and how you can work along with them and uh, how to talk to them and that sort of thing. So in all these things, and people listening to us now, God's got a purpose. It's like like, uh, Joseph and uh, people. God's got a purpose in our lives and bring us into different situations. And like in your life as well, you can look back at different things that he's training you through and getting you ready for what he's got for you in the future. Bill, you were a young single man mm-hmm. when you decided that you would go and study at Bible College. Yeah. Uh, take us back to that because, I mean, uh, this is still happening today. Yeah. Young single people who are thinking, I need to go and study at Bible College too. I need to deepen my understanding of God's Word. I need to, you know, get an idea about what it is to serve the Lord in mission or evangelism, whatever, yeah, in yeah, local church yeah, life. Yeah. Take us back to your heart and those feelings at that time god's not a not um, uh, in a hurry to train the person that he wants to use uh you know and i think training is important um, you know spending that time i mean a bible college and i'm i'm grateful for theirs was a living bible college because it got the rough edges knocked off you you know you have to learn to live with people uh you know today we sort of go along to the lectures and we come home again and we get full of head knowledge but there's got to be that uh, learning how to live people and working it out in our lives day by day. So that was the beauty of the Bible college. But it gave you a chance to, to sit down quietly with an open Bible and really get right into the Word of God. That's the beauty of it. And and uh, just going there, I mean, I, I was due to go out to Vietnam. They had my, uh, my number came up and I was due to go. And uh, anyway, we went to the... Uh, <clears throat> I've got a bit of a problem with the bronchiectasis, as you see. So uh, uh, the, the the guy, he said, no, look, you might claim that on the army later on. I'm, he's trying to get as many young guys off as he could. You see. No, you, you're not supposed to go. So, uh, you know, I said, well, okay, I'll go into Bible college. And uh, my rational thinking at that time was a bit crazy. So I went along. But, uh, you know, that's, and I'm so glad I did because it was a great college. Uh, Mace, uh, well, they call it Mays Bridal School, Bible School. Uh, <laughs> because there was a beautiful gal there. And, uh, you know, uh, you know that, <laughs> a faint heart doesn't win a fair maid. And I don't, you know, she's pretty classy that girl and I only come from the bush you know but uh, you know this girl I could see her sitting down in the gutters uh, working with drunken prostitutes and I thought she's the one for me you know as we went into the open air on Saturday nights preaching the gospel uh, and so I just uh, prayed and prayed and prayed and uh, in God's good time it all came about and uh, Dorothy is the name and it certainly was God's gift to me. <laughs> Wonderful to reflect on uh, that terminology, which we'll often laugh about, that Bible college is sometimes known as bridal college, (laughs) because so many young people who move into ministry roles later actually find their perfect match with someone who's on the same page as they are spiritually, on the same page knowing Jesus as Lord and Saviour and knowing what they're about. Yep. Uh, that's a, that's something that ought to continue on. Ought to, you know, the idea that, yes, you might be going off as a young single person to Bible college. There may be someone just right for you there. Better to meet them in that place like that than the dance floor, I'll tell you that right now. You know? <laughs> yep. You're safer because you can watch them for a period of time. Uh, you know, it, it, there was no dating. Uh, you know, uh, in Bible college. That was strictly off limits, you know. But, of course, you know, uh, uh, good luck. You know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're still, you know, there's sort of innuendos going around all the time. But, uh, 
you know. And then afterwards, I I, I could have taken Dorothy out, but I said, no, I'm going to leave it for a little while and uh, just to, you know, let it cool down and just see whether this is God's gift for me. But, uh, you know, gradually, uh, you know, I sent her some flowers. Our birthday's on the same day. Lord knows how thick I was, you see. So, you know, birthday's on the same day. I sent her some flowers. Do you know... The flowers were delivered to her by this guy that went to the wrong address, and he started to invite her out. Can you believe with my flowers? <laughs> so, <you know. laughs> All right. So I, I nearly missed out on that one. But anyway, fortunately, God and his uh, good graces brought us together, and uh, she's been a wonderful encouragement to me over the years. And special honour to Dorothy uh, for uh, you know being with Bill all this time, and uh, there's been some ups and downs, and there's been some fabulous things that have happened. There's been lots of tra- You've been away from home a lot. Yeah. Uh, so for Dorothy, just a special honour to her today as we're talking about 40 years sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, I want to open talkback lines. You might have your own memories of Bill Newman back to those early days. We're still yet to talk about that huge tent that uh, used to get lugged all around the nation. You might have been to one of those tent crusade meetings in your town, in your city. You might have your own memories. You might have your own reflection. Why don't you call us? Our talkback line is open again today on 1-800-316-316. You can join in. Bill Newman is our guest. We're talking about his story, The Proclaimer, which has just been released and uh, an easy-to-read Fabulous story, some of the highlights of Bill Newman and 40 years in ministry. We're back with more in just a moment. Everyone has a unique father story, a hero, a disappointment, a mystery. Whether positive or painful, it's always personal and can deeply affect our identity and life direction. Show Me the Father is the latest from the Kendrick Brothers, creators of War Room, Courageous and Overcomer. Their first documentary featuring powerful, true stories that give a fresh perspective on the role of fathers today and an invitation to think differently about our earthly fathers and how we relate to God. Your perfect father in heaven can change the trajectory of your life. It's like the light came through and I wept. I couldn't weep anymore. You are unconditionally loved. Haven't I been a good father? I need somebody to show me. Show Me the Father. Available now on DVD from Vision Christian Store. See visionstore.org.au. Just another way Vision is helping you look to God daily. Remember how my dad joined Christian Super and became super annoying? Well, now he's talking another language. Have a listen. So, kids, I read the product disclosure statement, right, consolidated my other super accounts and added my non-binding beneficiary. (laughs) It was super easy. I love my dad, but sometimes I wish he would stop talking about superannuation and get back to his dad jokes. Christian Super, aligned with Christian beliefs. Station sponsor. It takes a big family to keep vision on the air across Australia. Individuals, churches and businesses like Philom Earth Moving for a craftsman excavation service, Warrnambool, Victoria. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. This is 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision Christian Radio. Our special guest is Bill Newman. We're talking about... 40 years serving the Lord as an evangelist. And Bill's story 
in his new book, The Proclaimer, the Bill Newman story, inspiring stories from 40 years of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our talkback line is open on 1-800-316-316. You might like to join in the conversation. You might have a reflection on early days. Uh, You might have been to one of those big tent crusades uh, from the early days with Bill Newman, who was really taking a risk at that point and going all around the country. And uh, teams of volunteers and people who were support uh, for all of those crusades. So 1-800-316-316 to join in. Bill, let's talk about when you get this passion for evangelism, because some people will say, if only I was as passionate as Bill Newman. Uh, You can reflect on, you know, early days, early stories, leading people to the Lord before you were up on the platform and preaching the gospel to thousands. I remember one night we were in King's Cross in Sydney and uh, we had a we had a youth there and we had it all set up to, you know, go into open air evangelism and we were uh, giving out tracts and that kind of thing. And I was up on the, this little platform on the youth one night and the Lord picked out a guy in, in the in the audience and I couldn't wait to get down. I walked up to him and I said, uh, look, uh, you know, have you? would you like to know more about uh, becoming a believer? He says, yes, I would. You know, so we went across and I took him through the steps of the scriptures and how to lead people right through to the Lord. And I really encourage people to do that. Uh, make sure that you've got a method, uh, to, to how that you can show people how that they can really trust Jesus Christ. A lot of Christians can't do it. Go to our website. We've got all the uh, the ways that you can do it there. But um, look, uh, and, and I said, look, uh, showed him the way. And I said, um, now, would you like to give your life to Christ now? He said, uh, yes, I would. I thought, this is too easy. <laughs> I said, mm. if you're really serious about this, you'll kneel down with me in the gutter and uh, you'll give your life to Christ uh, with me now. Would you do that with me? He said, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, so we knelt down and he gave his life to the Lord. And uh, I didn't realize, but as we stood up, he was going, he was a guy from America. He's going back to the boat that night and he's going to ship off to Vietnam. You just never know how important it is when you feel the Spirit of God leading you. Uh, one time we were going into a cell. We used to call it Central City Cathedral. It was a lockup in Sydney. And uh, on the Saturday night, that you get people off the streets and arrest them and bring them in the cell. And they, they didn't hear, want to hear the gospel on Sunday morning. We came in and uh, I sort of, you know, went into this cell. And this guy, the air was blue with the language, you know. And uh, I said, oh, you think you're pretty tough, don't you? Yeah, I said, yeah, yeah. I said, look, if you're tough, read this verse in the Bible. I challenge you to do that. He said, yeah, I'll read it for you. I said, what does it say? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I said, yep, well, what does that mean? I, that I've sinned? Yeah, you've sinned. I said, that, have you sinned? Well, what could he say? He's in a cell. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a bit obvious, yep. yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and, and I led him through to another verse, another verse. And after a little time, the Spirit of God was just melting his heart. We're kneeling down, <laughs> looking in from the other cells around and giving his life to the Lord. That's when I discovered the power of the Word of God. You know, if we can just speak, we can be like any other religion in the world. But when, we, when our, our, our words are back with the words of the Holy Spirit, uh, of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit, it's then it becomes tremendously powerful. There's power in the gospel, and that's what gave me that, that passion to really uh, get going with the gospel in, in the area of evangelism. Is an advantage, Bill, when the early people that you're sharing the gospel with, say, on the streets, yep. uh, which is you know where you were there on King's Cross or you know going into uh, you know the lockup, yeah, uh, 
an advantage when you get some early breakthroughs because if yep. you get knocked back and yeah. uh, you can yeah. feel discouraged, yeah. what's your encouragement to people? Because obviously practice makes perfect, but, yeah. but you want to get an early breakthrough yeah. or two, don't you? I never counted the no's. I always counted the yeses. <laughs> it's like any salesperson. You don't count the no's, you count the yeses. And, uh, yeah, yeah. But um, it, just keep on. Just be, being faithful. God's called us to faithful service. And, uh, you know, but they'll never forget it. They'll never forget that somebody gave them a tract, share the gospel with them in some way. They never forget that. And the Holy Spirit can always bring that back in a day to come. Never to be discouraged as you step out for the Lord because he'll start skilling you. You know, I don't know how anybody came to the Lord in those early days with my poor old witness for the Lord. But, uh, you know, I think the average Australian is totally defenseless against someone who is totally sincere. And if we really passionately believe what we're saying, then they'll be open for it. I want to get onto the tent, but mm. I'm just reminded that when you first gave your heart to the Lord, yep. you decided, I'm going to be a Christian. I'm mm. going to say a sinner's prayer. Yeah. Your family were not particularly impressed with that. And so you didn't come from a family of churchgoers. No, no nothing like it. It's a wonderful family, loving family, caring family, but certainly nowhere near anything to do with Christian things. And uh, I remember a mate of mine were up at his, uh, where he kept these cows at night, and uh, and he was a wonderful Christian. He said, Bill, look, uh, put your, you, here's this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. If anyone believes in him, he'll have eternal life. He won't perish, but have eternal life. He said, Bill, put your name. For God so loved Bill that he gave his only begotten son, that if Bill believes in him, Bill won't perish, but Bill will have eternal life. That's the first time I ever heard the gospel. And uh, after what the penny started to drop, as I heard the presentation of the gospel several times, gave my heart. I went along to a church. It was a brethren meeting. I come from brethren, you know. So uh, it's a wonderful heritage, really, because they really know the word of God. Anyway, I I, I saw the sincerity in their faces. I said, this thing's got to be real. Sought out a very godly man. And uh, two guys came together, and we knelt down. I gave my heart to the Lord. Went home. And uh, because they said to me, look, go and tell your parents about that you've given your life to the Lord. Well, you know, I walked in. I said, hey, mum and dad, I've become a Christian. And they laughed. You see, they couldn't understand it. And, uh, and uh, you know, because I'd have to get up very early in the morning, light the fire, sit down by the fire and read my Bible. But they were my early days of just uh, living for Christ. Yeah. Now, the big tent I want to get onto the big tent because uh, you had a smaller tent and then the tent got bigger. Mm-hmm. But you didn't start the tent ministry because it was your initiative necessarily. But no. uh, you had an encounter with uh, the great evangelist Reinhard Bonnke. Yeah, uh, give us some insight here into what inspired you to get a hold of a tent. Well, I we we, we to go back we we. Went. Um, I went to uh, Dallas uh, Seminary in the States, Theological Seminary, for a summer course, and it was a wonderful time. I realized just how much I don't know about the Bible <laughs> when I went there. And uh, it, we had a, but there was a guy in in Texas that had Aquila and Priscilla tent makers, uh, and some people gave me some gifts, and we were able to buy a tent there. It was sixty by one hundred and fifty feet. 
and and so we brought that back, and we you started to have tent campaigns in different areas. There was incredible time until that was became like a tunnel, and we were preaching down this long tunnel because uh, you know adding sections of, of the tent, and it was just until finally we went to Perth, and this lady came forward in the invitation after we had uh, you know all these times. She said, "Look, you know that tent that Channel Seven is selling that six thousand seat tent. Well, we want to buy it for you, biggest gift we ever had to the ministry." Wow. So here we have this 6,000 seat tent. I'm in Amsterdam and uh, with the Billy Graham Conference for our tenant evangelists. We had about 6,000 evangelists from all over the world. It was a glorious time. I was staying in a hotel and uh, this guy is at breakfast time. He's got this band on because we had these bands because there was a threat on Billy Graham's life. You see, so you had that band to get into the conference. I knew it was from the, the conference. I said, uh, oh, you're from the conference? Yes, I am from the conference, you know. And uh, I said, uh, I said, uh, wow, great. What sort of evangelism do you do? I thought, I've got a 6,000 dollars. <laughs> he said, uh, oh, he says, I do tent evangelism in Africa. <laughs> so I said, oh, great. You know, I said, uh, how big's your tent? He said, it holds, uh, I think, 30,000 people. <laughs> I said, 30,000 people. I said, please run that by me again, 30,000 people. It was Reinhard Bonnke. And uh, so we had a great time sharing there and uh, incredible ministry that he's had for the Lord of Christians. We know he's he's just been called home to be with the Lord, but uh, incredible. But, you know, it's just a humble guy, and that's what it's all about, you know. You don't have to be the top dog on the totem pole, you know. We're a team working together, hand in hand, reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's teamwork. It's not just one person, you know. I see that, but this book, it's not my book, it's, it's our book. People just joining hands together. I love that verse, co-laborers together with God. And that's what it's really all about. And those volunteers mm. uh, that would go around with you, and obviously the tent uh, would arrive in a new town on the back yeah. of a truck, yep. and you'd have people driving from all over Australia to be part of the next Bill Newman crusade and uh, setting up the tent. So there's people swinging hammers and uh, people erecting the the tent structure and all of the other safety issues that have to go around all of that. As you say, there's a huge team that's worked with you over the years. Yeah, and and I love that. You know, we're working together and there was something about that tent. You know, guys in town, they'd come along early in the morning, they'd help you to put up the tent and then they would own it. It's not our crusade, it's our, you know, but it's our, everybody in town's crusade. And uh, that's that was the beauty of having that, that tent working together. And it was something different in town too. It, it drew the attention of the media, the radio, television, newspapers. They said, what's going on here, you know, and uh, uh, they, they would want to come along. And uh, we had one guy, he looked after the tent outside. I think he would have won more people Lord, outside the tent than we did inside the tent as he just shared with people. But uh, great experiences we had with that tent as we took it all. All over Australia, there was a guy, a Christian guy, that part of his business, he, he trucked that tent to Darwin, Tasmania, Perth, all over Australia, uh, and he did a great work for us in that way. Wonderful. And if you have your own memory of Bill Newman and his tent coming to your town, uh, you're welcome to join us in this conversation today. You might like to interact with Bill. one 800 316 316. Our talkback line is open. 1 800 316 316. 
I note, Bill, just a little personal connection there too, because when you say uh, there was that guy who was hanging around outside the tent and yeah. led lots of people to the Lord, you're referring to Bob Aitchison. Yes, that's the guy. Now, yeah. Bob and Gwen, they're uh, they're related to me. And, oh, uh, really? We have a okay. special uh, yeah. relationship, and Bob went to be with the Lord a couple of years ago. That's true. Uh, Gwen is still uh, kicking on very nicely, as yeah, I understand yeah, it, yeah, but... Yeah. But the people who would be coming to a crusade, not everybody came inside the tent. No. People are reluctant sometimes yeah. to get close to the evangelist and to hear this message. But yeah. tents are very thin. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the sound is going outside yeah. as well. Yeah. So there was an important element of the ministry that was going on all around the tent, not just what's going on inside. Oh, it was it was thrilling because... Uh, you know, we I kept saying, turn the PA down. And I said, no, we want all the town to hear it. I guess they have to fight for them all the time. You know? uh, but, the, you know, people, it really drew a lot of attention. And uh, But the key was prayer. I, I think um, we were down in Albury one time and we were preaching and um, we just weren't. It was like hitting a brick wall. I said to the Christians, let's go up to the lookout above the town. And we, on Saturday morning, we're going to have a prayer meeting. We've got to pray this thing through got them up there, we really prayed over Aubrey, and then that night it was an avalanche of people coming forward. Prayer is the key to evangelism. Bill, let's talk about some of these overseas missions that you were a part of, because, uh, you know, what comes to mind, let's start with uh, the South Pacific Islands. Uh, these are these were, you know, wonderful opportunities as things began to open up for you. Yeah, we we <clears throat> we, we said, now what's next? We, we went into Vanuatu, we had... Great meetings right throughout Vanuatu, from uh, uh, right up the north in Sento, right through to uh, Tenor Island in the south. And we saw so many people come to the Lord. We went to Fiji, had great times there, went to Tonga and had a great time in Tonga. Um, we were friends with the king. It was interesting. He, the king left, <laughs> lived next door to where the, the, the area was where we had the meetings, but he had to come across in his, in his cycle, motorcycle escort. And and, you know, yeah. and then he had a, a little uh, platform there, and I had to sit down a few steps below that because, you know, he's the king. Hmm. And uh, so, But he was got right behind us, got his choir behind us, and we had a great time. In fact, after the recent... Uh, tsunami that's come through and uh, the terrible devastation there. I was speaking to John Tonga, one of the uh, leaders here amongst Aboriginal people, but he's uh, back from Tonga himself. And uh, so we're keen to get back there. I know we, we want to get water in there and all the provisions in there, but we want to get in there with the water of life and uh, get back there and, and share the gospel with the people that have been so distraught over there. And for listeners, a special day tomorrow, we'll be talking about what's happened with this uh, dreadful volcano and tsunami natural disaster in Tonga, and we'll get some Christian insights into uh, how things are progressing mm. there. That's a conversation to look forward to tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But, you know, good friends with the king. I mean, this sounds, <laughs> uh, you know, sounds uh, pretty impressive. Uh, but you've been able to rub shoulders around the world with leaders, and mm. uh, this has been something that accompanies... Uh, at the times when the evangelist is held in higher esteem. Sometimes yeah. the evangelist is not <laughs> held in higher <laughs> no, esteem, no, but, no, but a, when they are, you yeah. do. You get to rub shoulders with the, the famous. Any door that you can open, but particularly you go in the South Pacific, you've got to come the South Pacific way. The arrogant Westerner just bowls into town uh, under the radar screen and uh, just goes into the villages and does his thing. No, 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 no. You've got to go the South Pacific way. You go to the leadership first. They are the ones who have the oversight of their islands and that sort of thing. So it's, it's protocol. 
to go to the to the leadership first. And you you might not think you you know anybody special, but you've got to still go uh, the 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 South Pacific way. And I think it gives honour to uh, it's important to give honour to those who are in, in leadership positions. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's been amazing. You, you, I've stood in Red Square and I've seen Lennon's tomb there at the time he was still in there. So you know, because uh, the one we follow and serve is alive. You know, you get all these. But it's it's uh, you know it's it's been an incredible journey. I, I my mind just goes through this kaleidoscope of different places I've been to and I've seen, and I have to pinch myself at times to think of where we're being, whether it's South America, whether it's in Asia, whether it's in Africa or different places of the world. But the, the whole passion is not to travel the world. It's the most miserable thing to after the Twin Towers falling. It's so so hard to travel. But it's the thing is just that just that want to see. It's like the Apostle Paul. Where's that boat going? Yeah, I'd like to get on that boat. I'd love to go to that place. We've got to get the gospel out. That's the passion we've got to have. The only answer, Neil, and you know this as well, uh, uh, the only answer to Australia or to any other peoples in the in the world is the gospel. It's the gospel, and we've got to get that gospel out. Bill, let's stay with Russia for a few moments because there's big developments there, it's all scary. sorts of expectation yeah, that yeah. Uh, Russia's about to invade Ukraine, and uh, whether that happens or not, we'll wait and see. It could mm-hmm. happen imminently. But the Russian people, what sort of response did you get at Crusades in Russia, and obviously there'd be ways that that would have all been set up, and uh, here you are invited to be a guest speaker, guest evangelist. Did you have to use an interpreter? Uh, yeah. The response of the Russian people, how do you describe Oh, that? it was thrilling. The stadiums were packed to capacity. We, we went in there straight after the coup, and uh, with the state, especially down where in Ukraine now, we went to Zaborosia, Donetsk, Lugansk, all those places which are right on those positions where the Russians are aligning all their force, 100,000 uh, you know, troops there at the moment with all the weaponry having war games. You just don't have war games on the border of another country uh, like that. And uh, Putin is getting on now. So he knows that if he is going to make a move, it must be now. So, you know, we are living in volatile times. You look at uh, China, you see what's happening there. They, well, t- Taiwan. You see, that's a very uh, explosive situation. Uh, you know, Korea is still wor- working on their weaponry. And, of course, Iran, they're working hard with their weaponry too. So, you know, we're living in dynamic, explosive times. And, uh, you know, uh, that's why we've got to see the importance of the time. This is no time to be asleep. Uh, I think of the ten virgins. You know, ten were asleep and uh, ten were, you know, awake. <laughs> And this is no time. This is oh, they're all asleep actually. But this is no time for the church of the world to be asleep. We've got to be awake. If you feel good about your situation, uh, you've got a good job and uh, you've got a house with a roof over your head and uh, you know three square meals on the table each yeah. day. Uh, you can be under some sort of Im- false impression that uh, the gospel isn't as urgent. That uh, you know when people hear you say that, uh, yeah. there's a certain urgency that you've always got to have about you because, yes, the world is going to hell in a handbasket and the only remedy is this gospel. It's the only answer. And I think there's in our society today, Neil, there's a fear. You know, uh, people get a bit of a scare. There's a lineup to get tested and all this sort of thing. There's a fear. We walk by faith, not by fear. Uh, And uh, when the world's at its darkest, the church has got to shine at its brightest. And this is where this is our opportunity. People are asking for answers, and this is our time to get going with the gospel in Australia. 
Bill, let me take you into something personal. Come back to Australia now. We'll talk some more maybe about uh, what's gone overseas. But you have a very, very significant and powerful family connection and connection to the land in Australia because you have an Indigenous connection in your heritage. Give us an insight here into how that all happened. Well, you know, it goes way, way back. But uh, uh, my, I think, great, great, great grandmother was an Aboriginal person in Young in New South Wales. And uh, th- that whole tribe by her were obliterated. Uh, you know, I, th- I think that's why we're coming to Australia Day. And we've got to be a little bit, I, I think there's got to be a sensitivity and uh, understanding the hurt. Because when Captain Philip came in, you know, he's at Botany and, of course, the Aboriginal people there, and then he came at Sailor Rep. La Perouse was just out. He came four days later when they'd landed at Botany Bay. So the whole thing could have been taken over, you know, by uh, uh, the French or or maybe the Dutch. The whole situation in Australia could have been totally different. And I know that the Brits did some dastardly things, and that's well documented, and and it's so sad. But um, but at least they, you know, through Richard Johnson, the chaplain that came from uh, England, at least he brought the gospel with them. But there's a lot of horrific things. I mean, they just weren't a um, hundred or a few hundred people around Sydney Cove at the time. There were thousands of Aboriginals, you know, from, uh, well, Philip was speared over there at Manly by them. So they had them over at Manly. They were down at, at Botany Bay. They are all around Sydney Cove. There were thousands and yet uh, through, I think, it was smallpox and uh, the settlers and, uh, you know, uh, l- there's a lot of hurt there. You know, why are they, they, see, there's never been a treaty in, in the Maoris in New Zealand. Well, why has they established a treaty? Uh, uh, so I think that, uh, you know, there's a lot of hurt there. Let's be a little bit more sensitive for that. But the thing that really, and, and don't get this idea of the, the convicts <laughs> coming out because I think, uh, you know, I think they said about... 52,000 convicts to America before this. We often think, oh, you know, Australia's a dumping ground for the convicts when they send out 700 with the first fleet. But, uh, you know, they send thousands across to America as well, so America can claim that as well if they like. But, uh, you know, we it really is this time to join together. Thank the Lord for Richard Johnson. And he was part of the Eclectic Society. He was a, an a evangelical. He's actually a, an evangelist. He preached on, uh, in London as an evangelist. Uh, I think Wilbur Williforce and uh, John Newton on that, they, they said, now let's get Richard over there on the first fleet. He came out with his wife, Mary. Uh, and uh, I mean, what a horrific voyage. Philip did a good job getting them there. I think they only had about 3% that lost their lives in that whole journey. The second fleet, they lost hundreds because they did it by contract. Terrible thing, really. But they brought out the, the, the first fleet. They landed, of course, at Botany Bay, came round to Port Jackson, which was had water and a better place to start off the, the thing. But, uh, you know, that's how they started. Richard Johnson was there. He established a school. He established a church. They burned it down, but he started a church there and uh, did a great work. His, he, they adopted an Aboriginal girl. Uh, his first daughter, they named, him, they named her an Aboriginal name. He, he and Mary did a great job amongst the Aboriginal people. That's the answer. The answer is the gospel. That's the answer to reconciliation. Uh, we can have all the laws and we can have all these marches and demonstrations. Oh, Neil, the answer is the gospel. The gospel is the one that reconciles us to God 
and to each other. And that's what we need in Australia today. I wonder just the significance, because actions speak louder than words. The very fact of Richard Johnson and his wife Mm -hmm. adopting a young Aboriginal girl with an action that that created some level of sanctuary for her and and they helped raise her in their home... Mm. That may be one of the most important things, as you're sharing the story, that may be one of the most important demonstrations of the gospel and the cross-cultural nature yeah, of the yeah. gospel because yeah. uh, the gospel knows no colour and yeah, race. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's uh, there for all of us. That yeah. may be one of the most important elements of our history. Well, she wasn't stolen. She was an orphan. She was on her own, so they scooped her up and looked looked after her. You know, it wasn't like uh, stolen. <laughs> they they really looked after. Her. So that was the the whole thing. And uh, you know, they, 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 Richard Johnson was an amazing man. He he was a he was a top gardener because his father, I think, had estates gardening estates in in England. So he developed a good he, he developed gardening and all that sort of thing. And uh, you know, did a great job there. As I said, he built schools. He did a great job. But you know, he had a tough time. Philip just wanting to preach on moral things, you know. And uh, there's another guy called Franklin Gross, Gross Valley. But uh, he was tough on, on Richard, uh, uh, and he really made things tough. He, he wouldn't allow them to go to services. He only, it had to be 6 o'clock in the morning, only for th- uh, three-quarters of an hour of service, and then that's it, you know. He was really tough, you see, on, uh, on, on, on Richard Johnson in those early days. And uh, but Richard was faithful. He just kept on preaching the gospel. Yeah, and uh, came up against uh, the leadership. And uh, whoever records the history is the leaders. And so, yeah, that's uh, right, yeah. uh, so sometimes you don't always get a good report. No, no. But uh, yes, uh, I'm like you. He's a bit of a hero yeah. of Australian history. And mm. whether you are Indigenous or non-Indigenous, yeah. he still has a very, very prominent role. But come back to you here for a moment, Bill Newman, because uh, really significant things you're sharing mm. about. Your own indigenous history, and as you yeah. say, you're a great, 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 uh, great uh, <laughs> grandmother. <laughs> but uh, yeah. in the break, I asked you, do you know what your uh, tribal ancestry connections are? And mm. you said, my tribal ancestries, apart from my great, 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 great grandmother, <laughs> were wiped out. Yep. So yep. the hurt of yep. Yep. those dastardly things, as you say, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. that the British brought to Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very still. You, know, you Obviously, Australia Day comes around. You, no doubt, uh, uh, feel some of those hurts uh, still. Well, you do. And, and we've got to understand the hurt of uh, a lot of those people. I mean, there's a lot of hurt. But, you see, I always say, listen, uh, don't nurse your hurts, don't curse your hurts, don't rehearse your hurts. You've got to reverse your hurts because hurts will make you bitter or better. <laughs> okay. So, you know, we can go on and have pity parties. and No, no, no. I'd prefer to look through the windscreen than look in the revision mirror. And I think we can go on. Uh, Aboriginal people, I believe, I just did a series of messages to the uh, Aboriginal uh, Evangelical Fellowship that was in, normally meets at Port Augusta, but they we did it on video and they went right throughout Australia. Uh, but, um, you know, I saw the, the important, if Aboriginal people really capture the vision of what they can do for the Lord Jesus Christ, given totally to him, there's no telling the impact that they can make on Australia today. Bill, how do you reflect on the really huge significance of the very large growth of 
Christian faith in the Aboriginal people all around Australia. And from time to time, we'll hear of revival breaking out in communities. And uh, in just this conversation we're having today, there's about 40 communities which are, you know, fairly strongly Aboriginal based who are hearing our conversation today. The faith of Aboriginal community today often is actually exemplary to the non-Indigenous Australian. Yeah, I was up in Arnhem Land. We had revival. They boated, they trucked, they bussed them in from all over these different places and we went to two places and uh, there at night time they just went on forever. Uh, I said, look, I just need a couple of interpreters here. I, I, had to, I had about eight interpreters for my message. I said, forget it. Give me the two best known languages and we preached to uh, those two guys. But, uh, you know, th- there's, there's is a movement of the Spirit of God uh, and and we've got to work hard with this. I mean, so many have lost their eye. Max Conlon is a dear friend of mine up there at Sherberg, and he's done a great job up there. But they've got heartache. A lot of the young people are committing suicide. And, uh, you know, so many funerals he's had to conduct and this sort of thing, you know. We've, uh, but they've got to see their identity in Jesus Christ. That's where our true identity lies. Let me ask you, there's so many things we could talk about, but uh, rubbing shoulders, we mentioned with the famous, uh, but rubbing shoulders with other evangelists. Mm. Uh, We've mentioned Reinhard Bonnke, but Mm. uh, the great Billy Graham comes to mind, and uh, and there's a a big long list of really well-known evangelists. Over the years, you've connected with some of these, even as mentors, so that you can improve the sorts of things that you do in your presentation of the gospel. Yes, I people, when I studied, I went up to America one time, went to the Willie Graham office that then was in, uh, uh, up north in Minneapolis, but uh, then they've moved it down to Charlotte since then, and they were so helpful, they, you know, it got me started, I said, they said, oh, you're just copying Billy Graham's uh, methods. I said, I gladly plead guilty. Why not study the best in the world? You know, they've worked harder. They've had teams. They've worked at it for years. And so we did that. And uh, Billy Graham's a, a wonderfully humble man. That's why God used him in such an amazing way. But, uh, you know, we've been with Reinhard Bonnke uh, and uh, we've been with um, Louis Palau. Uh, Louis Palau's, you know, the Lord's called him home recently. Uh, but, um, you know, great man of God. Louis, he's done some wonderful things with our, you know, South American people, you know. He's, <laughs> but he's a great guy. And uh, uh, more recently with Will Graham. And we've had some great times. I've been to Africa. Uh, I've been to Asia. We've been to Japan, a uh, different place in Australia. And Will's coming back in um, in. May this year into Launceston and Hobart. And those who are listening to us in Tasmania, look, get behind those meetings in May and, and uh, uh, in, in Launceston and Hobart because we're in for a great time. A lot of prayer going up right now, a lot of organisation, but Will's coming in that time and uh, I believe that we're going to see uh, some really significant things happening in Tasmania. You know, it's been fantastic. A guy came to me in Tasmania. He said, Bill, look, uh, I want to put some 90-second spots on uh, commercial television down there. I said, uh, yeah, go for it, man. He said, no, Bill, I want you to do it. You know, I said, this is secular television, man. This is coming under the radar. This is tough stuff. We put them together, and we've had amazing success down there in Tasmania. Secular television, 90-second spots. That's been so thrilling. You mentioned names, you know, like Reinhard Bonnke and uh, Billy Graham, uh, Luis Palau. There's one that you tell a story about, 
in your book, Leighton Ford, and he became something of a mentor to you in your early uh, exploits as well. Yeah, yeah. well, Billy Graham had the ring of the gospel, but Leighton Ford was the theologian of the gospel, and uh, he was a Presbyterian guy from Canada, married Billy Graham's uh, sister, and uh, but uh, he's a very incisive mind. And that's why I studied uh, Leighton Ford a lot, because he thought through the gospel very, very clearly. And uh, his presentation of the gospel was uh, was really wonderful. We've had a, f- a few times here in Brisbane, and I heard him in other places. I'd always travel to where an evangelist was preaching, because you've got to keep honing your skills. Never be content with where you are. You've got to study to be better at what God has called you to do. Don't just drift. I've seen some ministries, they never change over the years. But we've got to be add to our treasures things old and new. And you've got to keep yourself fresh if you're really uh, serving the Lord. Bill, let's talk about the future because Mm -hmm. you don't want to rest on your laurels. You can see that there's still plenty for Bill Newman to do. And uh, you're not really an old man yet. (laughs) Uh, We're talking about 40 years makes us sound a little bit older when we're talking about that sort of history. (laughs) But but you've still got some good years ahead of you. And I note in your book you talk about the possibility, a dream of an academy for evangelism. Mm. So how do you see that for the future? We're working on it right now, Neil. We've got... um, Different ones being uh, recorded. I've got uh, Lewis Balau, Will Graham, others uh, uh, speakers uh, in their field of different areas of evangelism. So you go to our website. It'll be up shortly. I'd say in the in second week into February, we'll have that up. And we will, if you're interested in evangelism, knowing how to lead people to Christ, uh, help you with your preaching of the gospel, all those different things. We've got these top speakers and we'll have them in half hour messages. They can go there and they can just listen to those various messages there. So keep an eye on that. You can go to our website or you can uh, get in touch with us at the moment and, uh, and, and we'll keep you updated on that. Plus, we want to take it on the road. So already uh, this coming year, we'll be in Newcastle. We'll be in, uh, where's it, Bundaberg. I think we're looking at uh, on the Sunshine Coast as well. Uh, there's three Academy for Event. We call them uh, Equip Seminars, where we're getting top speakers coming in and speaking about evangelism because we've got to keep working at it and skilling ourselves in this area of presenting the gospel. So the sort of person who'd be attracted to go along and be part of one of those seminars mm. as you're gathering, whether it's Newcastle or the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, uh, that's the sort of person that already recognises mm. there's some sort of yeah. evangelism call on their lives. Yes. Uh, what happens when you do one of those seminars, no doubt there's sort of an affirmation of that gift in you as an evangelist, yeah. and you'd like to see people released in that gift. So yeah. when an evangelist comes to town, there's all sorts of other things that go on around uh, around the activities of the main event. Yep. Uh, that's where That's where people have opportunity. Absolutely. But we have this thing when we do an event in in any given area, we have this called Reaping the Harvest, where we train people in the how of evangelism, how you know how to get yourself spiritually prepared and prayed up, but then also to how to take your Bible and lead someone right through to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how Reaping the Harvest. But this is another step further now for pastors, uh, more mature believers, where we want to really train them and skill them in, in, in the gospel. And, and as you say, ring enthuse them because, you know, uh, you know, in theos, it's in God enthusiasm, and we've got to keep that enthusiasm going. There's a lot of pastors and, and ministers and uh, teachers out there that are really tired, 
they're working hard all the time and they need to be refreshed. So this is what that's all about as well. Well, no doubt there'll be details when you visit the uh, Bill Newman Ministries website, bnm.org.au, bnm.org.au. And no doubt you'll be able to get a hold of Bill's new book there, as you will be able to online and at Christian bookstores. It's called The Proclaimer, Inspiring stories from 40 years of proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, Bill Newman, always just a privilege getting together with you. And let's make this happen again sometime fairly soon. And we'll tackle another topic uh, the way we like to do. But uh, congratulations on the new book. It is autobiographical. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's easy read. And it's an enjoyable read for listeners who want to get a hold of it. BNM.org.au. Bill, thanks so much for coming and joining us and sharing your heart with us today on 2020. It's been a real blessing, Neil. Thank you so much. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.